I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading the last two chapters of the book of Acts, Acts chapters 27 and 28. In Acts chapter 27, first 12 verses, Paul sails for Rome. Verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners into one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Adramitium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul, and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmoni, and hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phenice, and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Well, you'll recall that Paul was arrested on his trip to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21 while he was at the temple there. Actually, the temple police rescued him from an angry mob that wanted to execute him right there and then. Paul then appeared before the Sanhedrin to make his case for Christ as the logical continuation of Judaism in Acts chapter 23. Likewise, they were determined that Paul must be put to death before he left Jerusalem. The Romans subsequently moved Paul to Caesarea for safekeeping in another trial which took place before Felix in Acts chapter 24 after the Sanhedrin sends their crack team of prosecutors to Caesarea. Even though he's not guilty of anything, Paul was kept in custody for two years in Caesarea. When Festus replaced Felix as Roman procurator of Judea, Paul was once again tried in the presence of his Jewish accusers, who came in from Jerusalem in Acts chapter 25. Since Festus seemed to be favoring letting them take Paul back to Jerusalem for another trial, which, by the way, undoubtedly would have been another mock trial, Paul instead invoked his Roman citizenship and appealed to Caesar in Rome. That's where we are here in Acts chapter 27. It's a tough boat ride to Rome, and it's over 2,100 miles. What's more, we see that the wind was not very cooperative. 
After about a thousand miles of travel, Paul warned that the rest of the trip would be treacherous if they didn't wait for better weather. What does a Pharisee-turned-Christian preacher know about weather anyway? Luke doesn't report that Paul's warning came as a result of prophetic insight, but rather states that Paul said in verse 10, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. The Greek word used there for perceive is theoreo, which simply indicates information obtained by observation. Good observational skills, huh, Paul? Well, absolutely, because Paul was ignored and they proceeded on, and that turned out to be a very bad move. It's interesting to note that Julius, the centurion in charge of Paul's transport, was very kind to Paul in verse 3, gave him liberty to go see some friends while they docked there. It would certainly appear that the Romans were not sympathetic with the mission of the Jewish leaders to see Paul put to death. Nevertheless, a soldier's job is a soldier's job. The fast mentioned in verse 9 must be a reference to the one prescribed of the law for the Day of Atonement found in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 29 to 34, although we don't know that for certain. Paul gets an opportunity to preach in Acts chapter 27, beginning with verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which, when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, Thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Well, Paul warned them. The storm comes, and they start throwing stuff overboard. The wind had a name, Eurocladon. You might want to remember that name if you're in a game of Bible trivia. Today that wind is called Leventer. It's an easterly wind blowing off the Straits of Gibraltar. Finally, after several days of fighting the storm, and by the way, losing, and when the situation seemed very, very hopeless, we see in verse 20, Paul stands up to address the crew. He begins with an I told you so statement in verse 21. That establishes his credibility for the statement he's about to make. He tells them that an angel appeared before him that very night, by the way, to tell him that all lives would be spared because he must appear in Rome. They must have conjectured. If he was right about the storm, he must be right about this also, their safety. So Paul concludes his remarks in verses 25 and 26 with some good news 
and some bad news. The good news is, he says, I believe God, no loss of life. The bad news, going to be shipwrecked on an island. So that brings us to chapter 27, verse 27, and we wonder who made Paul the sailing expert. Verse 27, But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it twenty fathoms, and when they had gone a little farther, they sounded again, and found it fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern, and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were all in the ship, two hundred threescore and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. Well, what a picture. Paul, the prisoner, he's calling the shots. Now here's a ship about to wreck with 276 people on board. Hey, this storm had lasted 14 days so far. That's when the crew members of the ship decide to make a run for it on the lifeboats. Paul declares to the centurion that all who stay with the ship will be safe. The centurion in turn has his soldiers cut the lifeboats loose. No wonder the army doesn't like the navy. Paul tells them to eat, and they eat. Who's in charge around here anyway? Then it's time to dump the wheat. Brings us to chapter 27, verse 39. The ship crashes, verse 39. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and loosed the rudder bands, and hoist up the mainsail to the wind, and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast to remain unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Finally, here we have it, the inevitable. The ship crashes into a reef and it breaks up. The soldiers wanted to execute the prisoners to keep them from escaping, but the centurion, wanting to keep Paul alive, forbade this action. All were safely brought to shore, floating on pieces of the broken ship and so forth. So, just as Paul had said, all were safely brought to shore alive. But what a ride! 
In Acts chapter 28, we find that they're stranded on Malta. Verse 1, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he took off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors, and when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in the ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Petiolai, where we found brethren, and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Of course, when you're floating ashore on pieces of the boat, you're happy to be stranded anywhere. The island's called Melita. It's probably the modern-day Malta, which is south of Italy. And the natives there were really friendly, prepared a fire and a meal. But as they were eating, a snake jumped up and chomped down on Paul's hand. Now, if you happen to be of the superstitious sort, that's a bad sign. They figured an act of God like that must mean you're a really, really bad person. I mean, real bad. But when Paul went on about his business with no ill effects, these superstitious people changed their opinions about Paul, and then they decide that he must be a really good person, perhaps even a god. Well, from that night forward, Paul was regarded as a very special person by the natives. He prayed for a prominent resident of the island who was healed, and subsequently prayed for a number of locals who were likewise healed. Then, after a three-month stay on the island, it's time to resume the journey to Rome. It's been a long, very treacherous trip, but Paul finally arrives in Rome. Verse 16. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, Though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. 
But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand it with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Well, when they arrive in Rome, Paul discovers from the Jewish leadership there that no accusers nor letters from accusers have preceded him. Paul takes matters in his own hands and calls for the Jewish leaders in Rome to come hear him. Paul quotes to them Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, which says, And he said, Go and tell his people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Well, the local Jews, some reject the message of Christ, while others accept. Now, being so far away from Rome, these Jews don't stir up trouble like the ones back in Jerusalem. Therefore, Paul lives in his own house and teaches in Rome for two years, under Roman protection, by the way, during which time he wrote the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all those letters written from Rome. That's a little different as far as prison ministries go. The prisoner here is doing the preaching and ministry to non-prisoners. What a concept. So what about Paul's death? Well, here we are. We're finished up in the book of Acts, and Paul actually seems to be doing well. Well, here's an excerpt taken from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, which sums up what is known and what is guessed about Paul's last years before his death. The last imprisonment and death in 68 or perhaps 67 AD. When Paul writes again to Timothy, he has a winter in prison and has suffered greatly from the cold and does not wish to spend another winter in Mamertine, which probably is prison, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 and verse 21 give us that evidence. We don't know what the charges are now, 
They may have been connected with the burning of Rome. There were plenty of informers eager to win favor with Nero. Proof was not now necessary. Christianity is no longer under the shelter of Judaism. It's now a crime to be a Christian at this point in time. It's dangerous to be seen with Paul now, and he feels the desertion keenly in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and the following verses, and also chapter 4, verse 10. Only Luke, the beloved physician, is with Paul. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And such faithful ones as live in Rome, still in hiding, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 21. Paul hopes that Timothy may come and bring Mark also. We see that also in 2 Timothy 4, 11. Apparently, Timothy did come and was put into prison also. We get that evidence from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23. Paul's not afraid. He knows that he's going to die. He has escaped the mouth of the lion in 2 Timothy 4.17, but he'll die, as he points out in 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord Jesus stood by him, perhaps in visible presence, according to 2 Timothy 4.17. The tradition is that Paul, as a Roman citizen, was beheaded on the Ostian Road just outside of Rome. Nero died in June of 68 A.D., so that Paul was executed before that date, perhaps in the late spring of that year, perhaps 67 A.D. Perhaps Luke and Timothy were with him. It's fitting, as Finley suggests, to let Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8 through 8, serve for his own epitaph. He was ready to go be with Jesus, as he had long wished to be. He said so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. And that brings us to the conclusion of the book of Acts. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.